Hey, well, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And uh, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Kevin Bear. I'm the youth pastor here, and uh, I'm excited to be with you here this morning. Hope you had a great new year. Hope you had a great Christmas break, and uh, I hope you're ready for a, a new fun year. So Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to read verses 11 through 32. So Luke chapter 15, 1 through 3, and then 11 through 32. Uh, The most familiar story you've ever known from the Bible. If you've never picked up a Bible in your life, you'll know this story. Let me read it for us. Starting verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him, but Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, to verse 11, And he said, A young man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has become found. And they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said, father, look. For so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, was lost, has been found. Well, it's a new year. And I don't know if you guys are a New Year's resolution people. Um, 
Some of you, you come to the new year and you're thinking like last year was, uh, and this year I've got great hopes, great aspirations, great plans. And so you've already kind of made your list. Some of you are very list keepers, right? So you've got your pad of paper out. You've got your agenda. You've put it on your mirror and you're just like, check one, two, three, I'm going to do these things. Uh, you've made your resolution list. For some of you, uh, that's way too intense. Resolution sounds way too forceful. Uh, you have hopes um, for the new year, uh, desires, um, It'd be great ifs, right, uh, in the new year. And so some of those may include, hey, I'm going to do more of this and less of that. I'm going to eat less of that and more of that. Or I'm going to eat less of everything and, and go this. Or, or gym memberships tend to spike this time of year. And so that's you. You're just like, I'm going to get my, I've got my new workout clothes for the new year. Thank you, Santa Claus. And you kind of, you're heading to the gym and you've already been there twice. And you're like, I'm going to keep this going. You know, so you've got new plans, new aspirations, new hopes, new goals for this new year. And you're, you're thinking to yourself, hey, this year is going to be different. All the problems of the past are going to go away and all the hopes Hopes of the future are going to be realized. Um, but let me just warn you a little bit. Some of you are a little more experienced in this. And you've had resolutions for the past 30 years and uh, 40, 50, 60, 80 years. And you're like, uh, yeah, those don't ever really pan out um, like I want. Like I planned them to, and they never really pan out. And I would say for all of us, before we jump into all of our plans of the new year, here's what we all need. We need a reminder of simple truths that are always true, no matter what. Because no matter what you plan for this new year, I promise you this, if you don't know the simple things we're going to talk about this morning, it won't matter what happens. And I love this story of the prodigal son, uh, because really, if you look at it, there's, there's two lost sons in the story. There's two people that are going two different directions. And, and most of us are really following one of those two paths. And before we jump into all the things that we want to do in our lives, I think we need to be reminded of some simple things that should be true in your life. And maybe as we look at the story a little more closely, um, flesh it out a little bit more, maybe you'll see some things that, that you maybe haven't seen before. And maybe some applications that, that will maybe cut to the heart a little deeper than any resolution you can make. And so as we look at the story, I think it's important to jump in with the context the context is Jesus is, is standing there, and as Jesus would stand in most areas, crowds would flood to him. And it was a diverse crowd. All types of people loved to come to Jesus. It was, didn't matter whether they were religious or sinners. And a group of people comes, and they are the tax collectors and sinners. So labeled, you got quotation marks in your Bible there. They were tax collectors and sinners. And you may not be familiar with that group, although if you've grown up in church, you hear that those are the good people and the Pharisees are the bad people. But really, the Pharisees were the evangelical Christians of their day. They were the ones that did the right thing. They're the ones that are in church. They tuck their shirt in. They are nice, good people. Their shoes are polished. They've got matching belt. And, you know, they look good on the outside. The tax collectors, they were hated by everyone. Because to be a tax collector meant two things. One, you were not supporting um, Israel as a sovereign nation, as an independent nation. And instead, you had gone to Rome and said, hey, Rome, uh, if you, I know you need to raise some taxes to support your army and to support your government. Here's what I'll do. I'll get that money for you. I will pay you this much per year. And don't worry about my income. I'll charge those people more to support my income. And so they would tax people higher than what was due. They would, they would have people beaten and flogged if they didn't pay. These people were hated by everyone. 
And the Pharisees looking around are going, oh, great. Jesus is letting these guys in. And it says they began to grumble. And it's at this moment that Jesus launches into a parable, a story. And Jesus always did this type of thing. He would see something happen and then he would give you a story to change our thinking about it. And most of us, when we read the story of the prodigal son, we think that it's primarily addressed to the sinner, to the wayward, to the one running from God. But honestly, these stories, these three parables, the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, are directed more toward the Pharisees than the lost son. And Jesus launches into these stories. We're not going to do the first two, but the last one is the most prominent and the most popular. And the story starts out with a man, and he says he has two sons. And so there's three characters in this. There's a loving father, there's a rebellious son, and there's what I'm calling a religious son. And each one of these characters are supposed to strike the mind of the listeners. The rebellious son are like the tax collectors and sinners that are listening to Jesus. The religious son, that's like the Pharisees that have a problem with those people being in the room. And the loving father, well, that's a picture of God the father. And so the story launches in with the, first of all, the rebellious son. And he's disrespectful. Verse 12, it says, The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate that falls to me. And what he was asking for is his inheritance. Now, I don't know if you have uh, plans of an inheritance. Uh, some of you younger, um, you've got grandparents, and you may get an inheritance one day, right? So you've, you've been written to the will. Um, there's you know, hopes of great things. In fact, that may have happened over this, this season. Maybe your parents or your grandparents are getting older, and so they start having a will. And so they start writing it out, and they're writing you in, showing you what, you're, what you might get. And so, and so as you see that will, you may think to yourself, wow, that's going to be great in, in 150 years when you die, Grandma, and I'm going to be really happy to, to receive that. And, and you would be respectful, and you would be honoring. What you wouldn't do is say, hey, Grandma, can you cash that in like now? I mean, I'd kind of like it on this end. And that's what this son is doing. Typically, what would happen is, is a father would give the eldest son two-thirds of the, the estate, the younger son one-third of the estate. What you wouldn't do before father died, you wouldn't say, hey, can you go ahead and cash that in now? You wouldn't do that. That would be extremely disrespectful. And as the people are hearing this story, they're going, he did what? What he said to his father is, look, it'd be better if you were dead to me. This father at this point had the right to beat that son, to disown that son, to, to send him away from the community forever. And instead, what it says is the father divided his estate between them. Some translations say wealth. The Greek word in there is bios. It's, it's the, the word for life. And it says he divided his life between them. And the reason it says that is because the land was so important to these people. It was their livelihood. They were an agrarian society. They were a culture of farmers. And, and the land that they have was what gave them life. And it was the hope of the future. And it says he divided his life between them. And if you have land or you have land holdings, you know that you can't just do that. So he liquidated his assets. This would be akin to going to your life insurance policy and go ahead and taking it out and giving part of it there. Going to your 401k, taking part of that out and giving it to him. He had to go through his own expense to make sure his son, his rebellious son, would get his money and go. And then the next thing he did is he 
he lived a reckless life. It says in verse 13, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country and there squandered his estate in loose living. He lived the life that is painted uh, as, as the prime life in every pop song we sing today. Pitbull has a song out that's saying, don't let the party ever stop, right? It's like, I got my money, let's spend it up, let's make it rain in here, you know? So he's got his cash, he's got his, his money belt, and he's kind of going off to the wilderness or whatever, this distant country where no one knows his name, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and he's going there, and he's saying, hey, let's live it up. We find out later that he squandered it on prostitutes. He was saying, hey, rounds are on me, people, let's drink it up. Hey, let's go, ladies. And this is a very, very live it up lifestyle moment. And we could say a nice little conservative college station that doesn't happen here, but we all know friends, family members, people that have just have chased this lifestyle. They said, hey, I, I, I know you do the church thing. I know you're all into that deal, but hey, I'm just going to go do my own thing for a while. I'm just going to head out of here and I just got to experience life. I want to live, live life to the fullest. I want to get everything I can out of this life. And it's not going to be here in this crazy little town. I'm going to go to this area and do this thing with the money that I got. And I'm going to just experience what it is to live life the way that I want to. And the son does it. And he comes to the end of a period of time and a famine hits like an economic downturn. And he's got no money. No one's willing to hire him. He's got no job prospects. And at this moment, he's at his own little rock bottom almost. And he says, look, all right, I'm just going to hire myself out to a pig farmer. And as a Jew, that's the worst thing you could do. Pigs were an unclean animal to them. You didn't touch them. You didn't go near them. And so he went to a Gentile. He sold himself as a slave. He's down there and it gets so bad that he's sitting there on his knees going, I would just love to eat what the pigs are eating. Now, I don't know if you've ever had dog food. Um, I've got a one-year-old son <laughs> and two dogs. So we put that food out and, and he's gotten quick. And so he'll beeline. And for a while he was just crawling over there and now he can run and he looks funny like the way he does it. And, and he beelines for that food. and He'll go for it. But no, child. And, and he will try to eat food. I don't, ever, I don't know if you've ever tasted that on purpose or you lost a bet. Um, but, but it's terrible. And for you to be at a point where you're saying That's, that looks satisfying, that looks good. It says at this moment, when he is in the worst spot, when he is ruined, it says that this moment, something happened. He came to his senses, which you would hope that anyone in that moment would go, you know what, uh, that I'm desiring this. Maybe there's something better out there. Maybe I ought to try something else. And so he says, it says he came to his senses. And it says in verse 17, that he gets a plan together. It says, but when he came to his senses, he said, hey, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. Here's my plan. I will get up and I'll go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And so he got up and he came to his father so he got this plan together. He says, dad, 
okay, this, this is my speech. And I don't know if you've been in that moment when you have wronged someone terribly, you've done the wrong thing, you recite the speech in your mind. Like you get it planned out, like this is what I'm gonna say. And so he says, okay, I, I'm not gonna ask you to, be, to let me be a son again. I'm not gonna ask you to, to give me and reinstate me in the house. I'm not gonna ask for anything from you. I'm gonna ask you this, dad, will you just make me like a hired man? Now he could have asked to be a slave. A slave had no property, could get no money, got nothing. But he asked to be a hired man, to be trained so that he could earn money and pay his father back. His plan is to say, dad, I've, I've wrecked the estate. I've wrecked our family. I've stolen from you. Here's my plan. You just get me a job and I'm gonna pay you back. You just give me the moment and I'm gonna set everything right. Will you just, just give me the opportunity and I will make restitution for you. Just, just give me the time and I will make everything that I've made wrong right. That's my plan, okay? And he gets up and he starts walking there and it says the dad saw him from a long way off. It says the father was, was looking for him. Verse 20. And while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion. He was looking for him. I mean, can you imagine the anguish of a father? If you've got kids, you know this. When your kids are in rebellion, what do you want? You just want them to come back. When your kids have wronged you, what do you want? You just want them to come back. When your kids have been rebellious and angry and shaking your fist, their fists at you, what you don't want is for them to continue to run. What you just want is for them to come back. You see, Jesus throws in a picture of father that, that, is, that is very compassionate, that is very loving, that is very tender. And, and the sad part is we don't all have fathers like that. We don't have fathers that are tender and, and, and loving to us. We have fathers that are abusive and abandon us. Some of you don't know what it's like to have a good father. And if that's you, I want you to rethink what it means to be, have God as father. He has a, he's a loving father that when we run from him, all he wants is for us to come back. All he wants is for us to return. He's, he's not looking for us to make the, make the right decisions and live the right way from here on out to make all of these promises, all of these resolutions, all of these, I will, I will, I will, I won't, I won't, I won't. He doesn't want us to do that. All he wants us to do is to come back. And that's why he gives us this picture of father. He says he's looking for him. And when he sees him, it says that he runs to him. In the Middle East, you didn't do that. Fathers were respectable. They wore long garments. To run meant that they had to pull their, their dress cloak up, exposing their skinny legs, and run to some. And you didn't do that. Kids did that. Women did that. Respectable men didn't do that. This man picked himself up, ran, and says that he embraced him and he kissed him. He loved him. And his son's like, uh, he, he doesn't even know how to respond to this. He's like, okay, okay, just, thank you. Okay, he, I, let me say my thing. Okay, dad, I sinned against God and against you. And I just, I want you to know that I just make me a hired man. And, and the father doesn't even let him finish. He turns to his servant and says, hey, go get the best robe we have. The robe was a symbol of honor. He says, go get the ring. That's a symbol of authority. That's like a credit card. The guy that just blew all of your money saying, hey, let's go get another credit card in his name. Let's bring it over here. And he put sandals on his feet. Slaves did not wear shoes. And this guy had gotten to such a terrible state 
that he had even sold his shoes. He says, he's not a slave. You put shoes on his feet. He is fully reinstated. He is my son. He doesn't need to pay anything. He doesn't need to do anything. There is nothing that he needs to do to earn his spot back with me. He is back in. I've been looking for him. I've been waiting for him. All I need to do is return. And he's back. He fully reinstated him. And beyond this, he celebrated him. In verse 24, he says, go get the fatted calf. In this culture, you didn't eat meat regularly. That was reserved for special occasions. And he says, go get the best, the fattened up calf that we got. The one we're massaging that meat. It's got great filet mignons. Let's go get that guy. We're going to grill him up. We're going to have a party because this son that was lost that had run from me has come back. That son that had rebelled has come. That's the picture of God as father. You see, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. We've all run from God. But if we just turn, if we just pivot, if we just come back to him and say, okay, look, God, will you just, he says, I'm, I'm ready. And Revelation says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone will open up, I'll come in. There is no amount of things you have to do to get in. You just need to turn to Jesus and say, hey, I've messed it all up. I've, I've blown it all. Will you just save me? Will you just come with me? I know I've, I want to do these things better. I, I'm going to do, 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 better, better, better. And God says, look, it's not about that. You just come and you're in. You just turn to me and it's over. You don't have to do anything. I was sharing this message um, couple months ago and there was a woman I was talking to before I even shared the message and she says yeah I've made a lot of mistakes in my life I've done a lot of bad things in my life and I stopped going to church because I didn't want to be around those people and I didn't want to have to answer those questions Um, I'd made a lot of bad decisions and once I got my life all back in order then I felt it was okay for me to come in and as she's sharing this to me I said I hope you hear what I'm about to tell you It's not about what you do. It's about what he's done. But the problem is, although that is great news, although that is something to be celebrated, there's another brother in the mix. And it's the elder brother. And before we jump into all the things that the elder brother has done wrong, let me just tell you this. As I've been studying this and and, and, and mulling over this text, I find myself over and over and over again as the elder brother. I wish it wasn't. I wish I wasn't the elder brother, but over and over and over again, I see myself in him. And for some of you, this first half of the message is what you need to hear. I just need to turn to God because I've been running away and it hasn't been working. For others of you, we need to take a hard look at the elder brother and say, how have I been living my life? And how have I been responding to God and to others? It says the elder brother heard this party. It says he was working in the field. He's a religious son. He is working. He is not rebelling. He's in the field. He's getting his work done. He's carrying his load and the brother's load that ran away. Like he's taking care of everything. He's got his um, pocketbook organized. He's got his financial planner out. He's got all of his plans, all of his aspirations lined out. He's doing the right thing. He's living the right way. He was responsible. He was putting in his time. He's putting his money in savings. 
He was a good guy. This guy was doing everything right. In fact, he was doing the things that you would want from your kids to live right, to make good decisions, to to be with the family, to live well, to not be disrespectful. He was an honest employee. He was handling things well. He was working late. And he hears this party. And he goes to a servant and says, okay, what's going on here? And the servant says, hey, check it out. Your brother has returned and there is a party being thrown for him. And he's like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, your younger brother has returned. He's come back and, and there's an epic party for him. We're so excited that he's returned. And he's like, okay, I'm not going in there. I'm not. And it's that moment where you just be like, you tell my dad or you tell whoever, I'm not going in there. And, and so the servant probably went to the dad because, because then the father comes out and it says the father was pleading with this son. Would you just come back? He's like, dad, I'm not going in there. Come on. Your brother has returned. And he says, look, your son has squandered your estate. You see, we do that when we don't want to deal with it, right? Um, we do that with our kids, um, like the poopy diaper. Hey, your son um, did this, and uh, you're going to have to work on that. And, uh, and, and uh, your daughter said this to me. And, and, and so, you know, like we, we kind of distance ourselves from that, from the, from the relationship when we don't want to deal with it. And he says, hey, look, your son did this. You know the problem with the elder brother is? We're going to see it in his next couple statements. He says this, verse 29. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. He's saying, father, look, I've been serving you. I've been slaving for you. And God, Father, you haven't been giving me what I deserve. See, he was working for himself. He wasn't working for God. He was working for himself. He wasn't working for his father. He had this paradigm, and I think a lot of us have this paradigm. God, if I, then you should. God, if I, then you should. God, if I pray, you should answer. God, if I live a good life, you should bless my life. God, if I study hard, I should get good grades. God, if I'm a good worker, I work hard, I do what's right, I should get a promotion. God, if I do this, you should do that. God, if I do this, you should do that. God, if, you, if I do this, you should do that. And we put ourselves with God in a debt-debtor relationship. God, you owe me because I paid you with religious goods and services. God, I, so you should. And most of us, we we wouldn't ever say that we do that, but don't we? We wouldn't ever say, God, you owe me, but we would say this, like, God, I've been following you for a long time, but it just doesn't seem to be working out. God, I've been praying for my son to walk with you, and he's not doing it, so it's just not working. God, I've been praying for my marriage that it would be easier and that we would get along. And I thought if we were both saved, it would go easier. And and, and I'm trying and you're not paying. And I'm just just saying, God, if you don't, if you don't, well, I don't know. Because I said I would 
and you should, and you're not. And I'm just saying, if I did and you didn't, and I'm just saying, you should. And I've been there recently. And it is one of the worst things in the world to come head to head before you got to preach a message and go, Lord, I'm the elder brother. That's me. I thought if I did, you should. And if you're not in the way that I think you should, I'm just a little bit frustrated with you. You know the thing that the elder brother missed? The greatest gift we get is God. The greatest gift you get this year is God. And if God wanted you to have a bigger house, do you think he wouldn't give it to you? If God thought you needed a better car, do you think he wouldn't give it to you? If God thought that you needed a better body and a better butt and you know, more lipo, would he not give it to you? See, our God is a good God who loves us like a loving dad and he knows what you need and he's gonna give you what you most need. And he just says, hey, the best that you get is right here with me. He says to him, look, 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 all that I have is yours. If you wanted the fatted calf, you should have just asked for it. You could have had it. There's, there's no debt-debtor relationship. There's no I owe you or you owe me. Look, all that I have is yours. If you would just listen and come to me and be about relationship, not about I do and you give, just be about relationship. All that I have is yours. He knows what's best. And he's so willing to just give his best to us. I've got two dogs. Faith is faithful. Jesse is messy. <laughs> Jesse's a moron. Um, two Australian shepherds love the dogs to death. Jesse's an idiot. Jesse will go out into the backyard and eat his own or other dog's poop on a regular basis. I mean, this isn't a one-time experience. This is frequent, okay? And so he'll, you know, eat his meal and then be hungry. And then he'll work his way on out outside and I'll see him smacking his lips. I'm like, no, Jesse. And so I open the door. I'm like, come back in here. And, and he gets sick every time. A dog's stomach was not meant to hold this second time around, right? Every time. And I'll be watching him by the door and I'll be sitting on the couch and I'll be watching him and he'll just kind of, and I'm like, Jesse, come on, man. He's like, and I'm like, I know you're a moron. He's like, and I'm like, yes. I know. And I open the door and I push him out. I'm like, go puke out there. And I was just miserable, like so often. And you know what my dogs love? You know what they love? They love to play Frisbee. I've got two amazing dogs that can catch the Frisbee in flight, right? Like I'm a good dad. I don't kick my dogs. I don't yell at them much. I mean, I'm a good dad. And I know what's best for my dogs. I know that that if if they eat this food, they'll actually not die and be happy. And I know that if they do what I say, it will be the best joy they can experience. So we go out to the backyard and I get those Frisbees and I tell them to run around me and I throw it and they run and they catch it. And you just see the joy in that little dog face. He's like, oh yeah. And they come back to me and I'm like, this is it. This is it. This is what you were created to do catch that frisbee. Don't eat the poo. (laughs) And so many of us are like my dogs. Can we be honest? 
We say, God, I'm just going to go try something else or I'm going to run somewhere else. I'm going to do something else. And I'm just, I'm hoping that that will bring me joy. If I work really hard, maybe that's what you really want from me. If I go experience that, maybe that's where life is found. And God's saying, look, you come to me. You be in a relationship with me and I will give you everything you need. In Ephesians, it says this, every spiritual blessing has been given to us. It says this in, first, in Ephesians 1.13, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. You know the greatest news that we have? is that if you just turn to Jesus, you're in and he loves you. And there'll become a day when every need you have won't even matter because it will fully be filled. And there will come a day when every tear we shed will be wiped away because we'll be in eternity with him. And in the meantime, he says, hey, look, you get to be on my team. You get to play a part. You get to come in and experience everything I have to give. Will you just stay here and be in a relationship with me? You know, it's so interesting at the end of this passage is that there's no conclusion. He says to his son, hey, we have to celebrate because he came in and he leaves it there. You know why? Because the next step is theirs. The next step is the Pharisees. The next step is ours. If this is truly where life is found, if this is truly where joy can be found in full, I would say this, have you come in? Before we part, I would just ask you this, where do you find yourself in the story? Are you like the rebellious son? Are you like the elder son? Who are you? And before you run out to all of these aspirations of what you want to do, I pray that you would say, you would say this, God, what you have is best. I'm coming to home to you. I pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this morning and for your word. And I thank you more than anything else that you are a loving dad who knows exactly what we need and will give us freely because you love us. And Lord, I pray that you would convict us that need conviction. And God, that you would comfort us who need comfort. We love you. I lift up these people to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Yeah, you guys have a great morning.